Welcome to the Financial Wizard Podcast. This is personal finance in plain English for the rest of us. Join us each week as together we demystify money. And now, here's your host, Eric Henning. Welcome back. This week we're going to end our discussion of spending, but we're going to go into a different direction that you might not have expected. Remember, we talked earlier about how every spending decision we make is a trade-off between time and money. Those decisions are on a continuum with time on one end and money on the other. Here's the thing about time. Time is one of the strangest things. Each of us has the same amount of it every day, and each of us has all that there is. And that's an important thing because we can't make more time, but we can always make more money. Money does seem like a finite commodity, doesn't it? It seems like we're always running out of money or we're always about to run out of money. There's certainly a limited amount. But in fact, as long as we're alive, we can trade our time, our skills, our expertise for money which means we can always make more money. And we can put that money to use, making more money for us as well. And that gives us a multiplier effect. If you save up your money and you buy real estate and you collect rent, then that money is going to work and you don't have to um, have a second or third job. Uh, John D. Rockefeller, the famous billionaire, uh, once said, I would rather have 1% of 100 men than 100% of one man. And his point is very, very well taken. The idea here is that you can multiply your efforts by putting your money to work. We're going to talk about that as we go through the series. But right now, I want to talk about multiplying your time. Since we can always make more money and we can't make more time, it follows then that the highest use of money is to buy time. The highest use of money is to buy time. Now, for those of us who are entrepreneurs, business owners, Uh, This has very practical applications because when you're running a one-person operation, you're doing everything, right? You're doing your website, you're writing content, you're managing logistics, you're marketing, you're selling, you're, uh, you know, taking the dry cleaners, uh, dry cleaning out and in and doing errands and doing grocery shopping and cooking and cleaning and all of that. You're doing everything. So consider this. Consider looking at the things that you do for your business and the things that you do in your personal life and consider trading money for time. What are the things that only you can do? If you're running a business, especially, there are things that only you can do. Um, As a professional magician, the only thing that other people can't do for me is the show. Almost everything else I can farm out. Now, in terms of consulting with clients, customizing presentations, obviously that involves me. That's a hands-on kind of thing that I do all the time. But somebody else can cook meals. Somebody else can take my dry cleaning to the cleaners. Somebody else can fix my car, mow the lawn. Somebody else can build my website. And this is important because, especially as an entrepreneur, we tend to be multi-talented. But the problem with that is that we tend to then get into this idea that we can do everything and we can't always do everything well. I first logged on to the ARPANET in 1977 and before there were monitors. 
So I've been involved in the beginnings of the internet and the World Wide Web for a very, very long time, for more than 40 years. But I don't build my own websites because, number one, I'm a terrible graphic designer. So my websites look like I'm selling software. Uh, number two, it's hard to keep up with the changes in technology. And number three, I don't have to. I have other things that I can do, and I'm happy to pay experts to do things that I can't do better than I could do them or do things that I could do not that well and do it right. So I would say look at the th different things that you do. Look at the different things you spend time on in your personal life and your business and put them into three categories, things that you really can't do well at all that you really should pay somebody else to do. Things that you uh, can do but are kind of a waste of your time and are taking you away from really running the business. And then the things that only you can do, things that you are the only person that can do them and they're essential. Let me tell you a story that really brought this home to me. I learned this very early in my career. I had just come out of college with a theater degree, didn't know what I was going to do in the middle of a recession. And I ended up taking a temp job with a stockbroker who was selling tax shelters to millionaires. And I ended up working for him and eventually getting into the financial business after apprenticing with him. But the interesting thing about this was that this fellow had apprenticed with a guy in New York City named Marty Shafiroff. Now, you've probably never heard that name unless you've been in the financial business. But in the investment world, Marty Shafiroff is a legend. He was the first stockbroker to gross over a million dollars in commissions in one year. And that was huge. That was in the late 70s, early 80s, after brokerage commissions were deregulated and people could charge what they wanted. And he figured out that what he got paid to do was not dialing the phone, not trying to figure out if people had interest or had money to invest. He got paid to talk to people who had money and interest now. So what he did was he created a phone bank. And again, this is in the late 70s, early 80s. This is a long time ago. Now it's pretty commonplace. But he, this is back, by the way, when you could sell somebody shares of stock over the phone in a first phone call, which you can't really do legally anymore in the United States. Um, so he hired a bunch of college students, college students having flexible schedules, sometimes having mornings off or afternoons off. And he would schedule these kids to work and he'd have them calling from eight in the morning till, you know, the West Coast six or seven o'clock at night on the West Coast, which would be 10 o'clock at night on the East Coast. And they would be calling people to find out, you know, if somebody was interested in a reasonably safe tax advantage investment and they had at least $50,000 to invest. That was it. Do they have money and interest now? Simple. And then he took only the live prospects. He took the people who were actually qualified and he spent 100% of his time talking to those people and and opening those accounts and helping those people with something they actually needed. He didn't need to talk to all the people that didn't want his help or didn't need his help. He was doing a scavenger hunt. He was looking for the people who actually needed what he had to offer. Uh, and that was a great thing. And so that's how he leveraged that. Uh, another fellow, Steve Anderson, who was nicknamed the cold call cowboy, uh, made his name for himself in the brokerage business his rookie year by opening over 400 accounts, which was more than one a day, which was enormous back then. And uh, the way he did it was by calling people. And again, he did it himself because he couldn't afford to hire anybody. But a person who was doing a time motion study on what investment advisors and brokers actually do, and they found out that the number one activity was dialing and waiting. 
Steve's was different. He talked to this fellow who was doing the study, Bill Good, talked to a lot of people. And he said, you know, what do you spend your time doing and, and all of that? And then he said a very important question. How many times does somebody have to say no before you give up on them? And most of the people who had been trained in other industries and other sales techniques, very old-fashioned kind of get foot in the door, door-to-door kind of sales techniques, which say, you know, somebody's got to say no five, six, seven times before you give up, which is, in my mind, and in this age, kind of obnoxious, isn't it? Steve said once. They say no, I say bye-bye, have a nice time, I'm going to the next person. He was looking for people who had money and interest now, and he wasn't interested in beating his head against a wall or being unpleasant or, how should I put it, overly persistent and rude to somebody who genuinely wasn't interested. They said no, fine, great, take that at face value. They're being honest with me, I'm going to move on because I'm looking for the right cherries. I'm looking for the people who are ready. Now, how is this relevant to us? The point is, we spend so much of our time on repetitive activities that we can farm out. If you're putting labels on envelopes, if you're looking envelopes for mailings, if you're going to the post office for crying out loud, somebody else could be doing that. And you could be doing what in fact you get paid to do, which is talking to your clients or potential clients, crafting uh, a uh, uh, whatever they need based on your skill set delivering that, following up, getting those referrals from people, okay? So you want to farm out everything that others can do so that we are spending the maximum amount of time doing what only we can do. But here's the catch, okay? Yes, there's always a but, isn't there? Buying time is only productive if we use that time effectively, which means that if we're farming out tasks, we need to have a structure for our own time so that we are maximizing our own effectiveness. And this is very liberating. Now, this is a, a problem because as a creative person, I can tell you this is a problem. You know, when you have a nine to five job, you have a structure. Somebody is telling you what to do typically. And you have a beginning and end point to the day, especially if you have a commute, right? You get in the car, you go to work, you come back home, and there's that kind of parentheses on the day. But if you're an entrepreneur, you can, uh, as somebody jokingly said, somebody is an entrepreneur, somebody who works 120 hours a week to make as much money as somebody who's working 40 hours a week at a job. You, you never have to stop working. And so you have to create a structure because otherwise you're going to wreck your health. You're going to be terribly stressed out and you're going to be unproductive because tired is stupid, right? So you need we need to create a time schedule uh, that's going to give us uh, room for uh, eating healthy meals, for getting enough sleep, for exercise, for time to be alone if we need that, uh, time to create, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm a single parent. I'm a widower. So I have a natural parentheses on my day because my son goes to school at a certain time of day to catch the bus. And then he comes home from school during the school year. So I know that I have that window of a certain amount of hours in which to get most of my work done because once he's home, I'd really rather be spending that time with him because I only have so many years to spend with him before he's on his own. And as a parent, I really believe it's not about quality time, it's about quantity time. So that's a priority. So the big rocks in my schedule are time with my son and sleep. And then everything else follows from that. There are tons of books about time management and that's not really the scope of what we're talking about with the financial wizard. But I will tell you that anything by Ken Smith is a good bet. 
Um, there are some wonderful books out there that he's written. Unfortunately, Ken is no longer with us, but his uh, legacy lives on. And I would really encourage you to get any of his books and start reading them because uh, they are incredibly helpful. Well, I hope this has been helpful to you. Now, I have a big announcement to make. Starting this coming week, uh, we're going to go to a weekly format rather than daily, and here's why. I've gotten a number of uh, bits of feedback from a lot of our listeners and friends and people who do podcasts and people who've done research on podcasts, and it seems to me that a weekly format may work better. We'll be able to do a little bit longer podcast, go more in-depth, and it'll be easier for people to keep up. I know that sometimes when you have a daily podcast, no matter how short it is, you see all those episodes and you think, gosh, you know, if I miss three or four, I'm never going to get caught up. And I don't want anybody to lose out on this information because you feel like you just can't keep up. I'm not here to add stress to your life. I'm here to make it easier. So starting next week, we're going to have Money Mondays. And every Monday, we're going to have uh, probably about a 20, uh, possibly 30-minute episode, depending on how it goes. Uh, we're going to go more into depth. And you'll be able to listen to that all week long over and over again to reinforce those ideas and put them into practice. I hope that you've been doing what we talked about this week and you've been keeping track of your expenses by getting paper receipts and writing them in your blank notebook. Uh, if you haven't been doing that or if this is the first episode you're listening to, please do that. Go back and listen to the beginning ones and keep doing that because getting a handle on that money is going to be the thing that's going to get you started down this road. So we've talked about spending. Next week, we're going to talk about getting out of debt. I've got the five R's of debt reduction, and I think you're going to find that very, very productive. I can tell you that we've had uh, people who've gotten out of debt much faster than they ever thought possible using these techniques, and they don't involve more borrowing. So until Monday, uh, thanks very much. And remember, the money doesn't come with instructions, <laughs> so we're going to do our best to give you that knowledge here. Thanks for listening. This presentation by Eric Henning is purely educational. Nothing in this presentation should be construed as giving specific or individual legal, tax, or investment advice. You should make major financial decisions only after consulting with competent professionals licensed in your place of residence. While we can't give individual financial advice, we'd love to answer your questions. Please send your money questions to us at eric at thefinancialwizard.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, review it, and tell your friends.